Among the scenes which are deeply impressed on my mind, none exceed in sublimity the primeval forests undefaced by the hand of man, whether those of Brazil, where the powers of life are predominant, or those of Tierra del Fuego, where death and decay prevail. Both are temples filled with the varied products of the god of nature. No one can stand in these solitudes unmoved, and not feel that there is more in man than the mere breath of his body. Charles Darwin Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, or Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. Uh, I hope you are doing well and that you've had uh, you know, a good kind of run up to uh, the holiday season. Uh, it's getting closer and closer, faster and faster. So, um, I had hoped that we would be finishing up South America, perhaps this week, um, but uh, I myself am not feeling all that fantastic, so I'm going to go for as long as I can here. Uh, so this might be the last episode, it might end up being the last one of two, we'll have to see. Um, now, as for next week's episode, obviously uh, that Monday is, uh, is Christmas Day. Um, I don't think I'll be recording Christmas Eve, so I'm going to try to record an episode ahead of time. Uh, but if not, it may be kind of midweek or possibly even the week after. Um, I am going to have at least one of those weeks off, either Christmas week or New Year's uh, week off. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what's going to be the best option for me. Uh, but after we finish up this season, we'll be moving on to... Uh, season four we're going to be jumping ahead in time uh, but I'll also be doing some interstitial episodes again just covering some um, some t some topics in depth uh, in depth excuse me that are going to be kind of um, showing up a lot uh, in either of those episodes uh, we'll do another agricultural domestication episode another animal domestication episode uh, but we're also going to be talking about uh, some other um, I guess fields that are opening up to humans um, that we have evidence of and what's you know kind of what's involved at these early stages for those things so uh, please look forward to that so we'll have a couple of those interstitial episodes before we begin moving on uh, kind of to the main uh, timeline and talking about advancements again um, and then after that um, we'll be um, going back to our normal format um, and I am thinking about changing up for once we get to um, more societies and peoples to talk about like you know firmly talk about I may be changing up the season structures a little bit um, it might not be quite as linear at least in terms of all of Africa for a season or it might be something like that more just all of Africa for a season then we move on to Asia or maybe borderland between Asia and Africa, uh, that kind of thing. But again, we'll, we might be changing up how we approach certain regions. Um, not this season. This season is probably going to be like the last couple have been. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there when we get there. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. I'm thinking about doing some changes to that. It might be easier or more coherent um, to kind of talk about things in that manner, but we'll go ahead and get there, 
when we get there. So for now, let's get back into the swing of things and finish up the sites and people, uh, peoples of South America between uh, 8,000 to 6,000 BC. Excuse me. <coughs> now um, let's go ahead and finish up our talk about the Brazilian, or I'm sorry, the Amazon basin region. Uh, you know, covers most of modern Brazil. Uh, and to that end, I have one big discovery that I meant to talk about last week that I completely skipped when I was reading through my notes. I just completely blanked on it. Um, now, I mentioned contact between the various groups spread around the Amazon basin, and I talked about how pottery would be coming through these trade routes, but it would be spread unequally and more and kind of was more prevalent at least in earlier periods in the western portion of the basin than in the central. And that is true, but I neglected to mention that uh, pottery isn't just coming from the west. It is also coming from kind of the east and the northeast to be more specific. And I, I know I did kind of a poor job of defining the, the geographic border, borders or barriers um, for the Amazon basin. I think I used the term southern basin, uh, which technically... That's not what I should have done, but um, when I talked about the western end of the basin, I essentially was referring to the portion of territory that is on the kind of the eastern side of the Andes, uh, where the rivers are coming down from that mountain range. Uh, and when um, I figured, or sorry, where I figured the um, eastern region to begin. And the central regions to begin, it's a lot harder for me to find, uh, to define, excuse me. And, and I'm still kind of debating about the best way to conceptualize it without having uh, been to the area. Uh, I don't have a clear way to kind of, you know, point out the exact differences. But I think the best way I've been able to wrap around my head on the subject uh, is um, kind of the concept is that the western region is you know easily able to be defined you come down the mountains into the hilllands and you continue until you reach kind of the start of the dense forests of the amazon uh and then the division is much less clear you know again for the central and uh eastern regions uh, but i would say that it changes at some point between where the rio negra and the Tapayos flow into the Amazon. Those are two of the big rivers feeding in uh, to the Amazon River um, as it's picking up, you know, even more uh, power uh, and flowing into the Atlantic. Uh, which leads me back to the big development I forgot to talk about last week, uh, and that is the fact that the oldest pottery found in South America so far comes from what is now modern Brazil, uh, or at least potentially the oldest there again are a couple of other sites that some make the claim about um, that they have the oldest pottery but the general consensus is that the brazilian samples are the oldest uh, and they were also shell tempered uh, which you know they, they that means that they simply crushed up uh, seashells or something along those lines and added it to their mix um so that means that it was very, uh, excuse me, very easily to radiocarbon date um, those uh, uh, pottery sherds. 
uh, and they all show that they were dated to right around 6000 BC or so. And yeah, you can go a couple hundred years one way or the other, so they could be 500 years older, they could be 500 years younger, or something along those lines. And they've been found in two locations uh, around the city of Santarim, uh, and also a, another um, smaller town or village uh, kind of to the east of Santarim, and that's uh, Taparina, uh, Taparinha. Uh, and these people are, or excuse me, uh, the people that were using this pottery were primarily fishers, as you might have guessed from the shellfish tempered pots. And the fact that both you know locations are located right near the site where the Tapajos River merges into the Amazon. Now, I should point out that while these sherds are widely considered to be the oldest, that doesn't mean that they are. I also want to make clear that while you know these people have been uh, the first creators, um, they may have been, excuse me, the first creators of pottery in South America, most don't recognize them as having spread the technology that far and wide. And there are a number of other sites that within the next, you know, some point between the next 1,000 years or so, at the latest, are also beginning to use pottery. And the distance between some of these places and geographical barriers, you know, make that kind of large-scale trade networks between all of these sites uh, extremely unlikely. Uh, I think last week when I was talking in, about the Guianas, I mentioned the Alaka culture. Um, they seem to have developed pottery next, or at least that's the next, you know, f fairly firmly date. You know, people are confident about that. In general, they seem to be the people that develop pottery next. Um, and I don't believe with their region's isolation that somehow they would have received pottery from the Amazon Basin first, as opposed to, you know, closer sites to Santarém. Uh, you know, there, there should be places closer that have pottery more recently than the Alaka sites. Um, and I should also point out, you know, if there was pottery in a high enough amount to trade that far, you would find evidence of it at other sites more, you know, much closer both geographically and chronologically as well. Now, we might find more sites that completely blow this statement out of the water, but until then, I think it's safe to assume that um, South America has a few different groups inventing pottery on their own. Yeah, to, yeah. Um, or at least getting fairly close to it, and then they maybe find some finished products for some neighbors, and it kind of gets them, uh, kind of gives them that last little bit of ah, I see exactly what needs to be done kind of moment, that aha, that eureka moment. Um, also, another thing to point out: uh, pottery, of course, is fragile. Uh, it, you know, the longer you have to carry it, um, the more the chance rise that the pottery is going to get damaged or destroyed en route, especially through, you know, traveling through like jungles and mountains and hills. Like, it, it's very hard to get that directly from uh, Santarém north through that region. It, it, it seems extremely unlikely that that happened. So, a uh, couple of places in South America, at least, at least two or three, 
probably more like four or five actually if I think about it, uh, are in the process of developing pottery. Now whether or not they fully complete that development before they get a neighbor's example, I can't say. That's something I'm going to have to really dive into here in the next in the next season because it is something that becomes more ubiquitous. And before I continue on, um, I also had uh, two other things uh, to go over uh, about the Amazon agriculture uh, and kind of a s- distinction between Brazil and the rest of South America when it comes to terminology. Um, <clears throat> now, I did have a few questions that you know, mentioned that groups uh, about around Brazil developed to control the soil to an extreme degree. Um, now, that isn't unique to the peoples living in the Amazon region. And again, I plan on going into this a little more detail when, you know, when we get to other places, but um, since I mentioned it, I'll go ahead and go over it. Uh, But eventually, some of the people living in the Amazon become so proficient and skilled, um, you know, with working the soil, developing it, you know, changing it. Uh, They develop what is known as terra preta, uh, which is Portuguese for black soil. Uh, And this specific mix happens much later in timeline of what we're talking about but the origins of them experimenting with soil management is happening now as they are beginning to slowly expand um you know the crops that they are attempting to plant um and with the you know the the extremely kind of acidic soil of the you know amazon region it's something that they're always going to be fighting and it's something that it's going to take a long time but eventually they're going to get to the point where they where they come up with a very, very um, fertile kind of mixture, you know, to kind of counteract the region's uh, difficulties. So that is uh, that is something to keep an eye out for. But again, I, I'll go into more detail as it becomes more, you know, more important as time goes on. I guess. Um, now the other uh, aspect of uh, terminology difference I want to talk about. Um, Brazil, uh, famously, uh, colonized not by the Spanish, but by the Portuguese. Um, And we'll, of course, talk about that in a lot more detail later. But uh, that kind of um, contact with the Portuguese as opposed to the Spanish has led into kind of a very, kind of a split between uh, Spanish terminology and Portuguese terminology, you know, when people talk about... um, time periods and colonization and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and go over that really briefly. Um, but again, we'll go into this in much more detail later. Uh, when in the you know, English-speaking world, we refer to um, you know, the period before the Europeans arrived for the Americas a the Americas as a whole, excuse me, uh, we tend to use the term pre-Columbian because of Columbus. uh, There's also something known as the Columbian Exchange where you have uh, goods from, you know, or plants or animals, whatever, not just goods, uh, natural phenomenon, that kind of thing. You have them coming from the quote-unquote old world to the new world and vice versa. Um, and this is known as the Columbian Exchange. Uh, 
Now, uh, there is a term in um, Portuguese and Brazil specifically uh, to refer to their kind of the period of their country, uh, you know, kind of sort of the same time frame. Uh, they refer to it as the pre-Cabralin uh, history or pre-Cabralin um, period uh, because uh, the European explorer who opened, uh, you know, prehistoric, not prehistoric, but uh, ancient Brazil up, or not even ancient, who opened Brazil up to Europe uh, was uh, Pedro Alvarez Cabral. Uh, he was the kind of explorer for the Portuguese crown. Uh, he got to Brazil in uh, 1500, um, which is, you know, eight years after Columbus's initial voyage. Uh, so, you know, he, he'd missed out uh, on being first by, you know, a couple of years, but um, it's not the exact same time period, but it is very, very close. And, of course, you know, in the American context, at least, uh, we have had a lot more influence on um, uh, from the Spanish-speaking uh, Americas as opposed to the Portuguese-speaking Americas because, again, it's just Brazil, and I don't mean that to be derogatory. Brazil is a massive country; it's got a huge population. But in terms of um, uh, perceived influence, if nothing else, uh, we have much more interactions with our uh, Spanish-speaking neighbors than we do with our Portuguese-speaking neighbors uh, or neighbor, excuse me. So, no, no shade meant on Brazil. Uh, nothing but love for you guys, but uh, that that is a difference in terminology that you'll sometimes find when you refer to the pre um, pre contact periods between uh, Europe and um, uh, the Americas. Uh, but again, it's not something that you'll run into too too often if you are not reading about Brazilian history. Uh, now. Um, now, I, I did mention that I was going to try to cover some groups in what is now southern Brazil. However, most of the sites I ended up reading about there were actually after this time period, as far as I could see. I may have missed one or two, um, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, people are just kind of following the rivers um, at this point. So they're, you know, they're getting through, um, but it's not something that they're necessarily having, you know, to do at a very high um, at a high pace, just because, you know, there is probably a lot of natural resources that they can fairly easily harvest as, you know, as hunter-gatherers that, you know, again, they're, they're away from the kind of early agriculture centers, uh, in the Amazon basin. That's something that's going to follow after them, at least in most places. Um, but, you know, getting to the south, it's something that's not necessarily happening, happening at a very, Again, a very high clip, um, but that will change, you know, fairly quickly once um, once you get groups, you know, supplementing their um, uh, diets with um, with grown crops and you know supplementing what they're already getting from hunting and gathering and fishing. Uh, once that population explosion happens out um, out west, it affects. Uh, the groups further east uh, either they you know the increase of trade causes crops to you know uh, spread uh, fairly amicably or um, you know groups trying to spread their agricultural lifestyle drives uh, 
groups, um, you know, practicing hunting gathering lifestyle uh, drives them further towards the coast and to the south. Um, but that is not to say that there are not people um, outside of the Amazon basin, um, you know, uh, in the south. And we're going to go over those people now. Uh, now, the, these groups would have come through, much like the groups populating the Amazon basin, they would have come uh, through the Andes and followed uh, other rivers kind of in the, the south of um, Bolivia, you know, come through, um, uh, you know, kind of the, kind of through, uh, I believe it's like um, what is now the, the Brazilian state of Mato Grosso. There are, you know, there are rivers and lakes through there that are not necessarily uh, connected to the Amazon basin. Um, I think it's, uh, it's the, Car uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. It's a uh, Corisho Grande uh, is one of those uh, lakes, and that comes through I think what is now modern day um, uh, Bolivia, Brazil. Uh, I think it even gets to uh, Paraguay as well. Um, it may even go as far south as, as Uruguay. Um, but again, there are a number of groups. Um, I, I did get some names for some cultures, but finding information about them in English was extremely difficult. I, essentially, they're only mentioned. And so I don't know if they exactly line up with the timeline, but I believe they do. Uh, this is known as the Catala, uh, excuse me, Catalanesne, uh, and also the Kurem. Uh, cultures. Uh, these are both Brazilian cultures, or at least located in what is now modern Brazil. And they kind of spread through that interior uh, and then into the south, into like uh, modern Paraguay and Uruguay, excuse me. Um, and uh, these, these groups do eventually kind of become, um, I think there's at least two or three large groups that are, you know, distinct from each other in terms of language and uh, they have a slightly different genetic background. And that stuff, we'll, again, we'll dive into in the future. But that means that this region is populated by at least, uh, you know, two or three distinct waves of people, each coming in from slightly different directions. Some would be coming directly through the mountains from what is now, uh, now Chile, you know, right around that Santiago um, kind of line. Uh, some would be coming down through the rivers um, uh, that I mentioned uh, previously uh, through uh, those kind of highlands, uh, Bolivia, Brazil, uh, modern uh you know, Paraguay and Uruguay, and then some would be coming down along the coasts and some of the other Brazilian rivers. Um, and we'll talk about the modern groups later, but yeah, I think there's two primary um, larger, in terms of population, uh, indigenous groups, and then a couple of smaller ones. Um, but again, all that's uh, all that's going to work itself out later and we'll talk about it then uh, again this is kind of one of those regions that um doesn't quite have the full kind of archaeological uh surveys done at least at the level of other places but that's not to say that none have been done that's not to say that you know we don't know a lot about them but they are just now beginning to be populated these regions i think um specific 
excuse me, uh, specifically the the kind of the coastal areas don't really get populated until right around um, 8,000 BC. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that, um, but uh, it never becomes super highly populated. Um, I don't think, in some cases, there's probably not more than and again, it depends on the group, but I think the largest ones you're you're looking at maybe around thirty to forty thousand people, give or take, and that's the the largest groups. Again, there are a number spread out, but um, people tend to stay mobile, at least in this region, for for a number of reasons that we'll go into. But yeah, it's um it's not something it's not a location that's highly populated. Um, now, uh, moving further south uh, into what is now known as uh, Patagonia. Uh, this is a very interesting kind of region. Um, most of it can be found in Argentina. Essentially, I think everything um, everything south of the... Um, uh, what's the river? Sorry, I had it. Why didn't I add that in my notes here? Sorry, I'm just... I'm kind of going through... Uh, my notes here. Um, I think it is the Colorado. Yes, uh, Colorado River. And that is, of course, not the American Colorado River. Uh, there's also the uh, Baranacas River. Um, but essentially, this part of um, this part of uh, the world um Actually, you'd find something similar to Scandinavia. It's kind of like a mirrored Scandinavia almost. They have uh, fjords and uh, channels and that kind of thing. Um, but obviously it's not covered with ice the same way that the uh, current, uh, or at least Scandinavia, is at this point in our timeline. Uh, now these peoples um, obviously have kind of come through, again, the Andes as well. This is a separate group from the peoples that we just finished up talking about. Um, the term Patagonia is a very interesting one. Essentially, the theory goes that uh, Ferdinand Magellan, who was one of the first people to kind of explore the region, or at least you know, in terms of Europeans exploring the region, uh, he either took uh, the Portuguese Patagal or the Spanish Patagon, um, and then, um, which is essentially, uh, and again, this is debated because it's not a hundred percent believed in some cases. Uh, pata essentially means, um, foot. Uh, so Patagonia is sometimes believed to mean land of the big feet because to the Europeans, the people living here were very much taller than them. At least that's kind of what... Um, that's kind of like the, the the legends that came out of it. I think um, even Francis Drake, the English explorer, when he came through the area, uh, he said that, uh, or at least one of his men said that they ran across a man that was seven feet and a half uh, tall, which of course is very big even for today's standards. But at that time, it would have been he would have been seen massive. And there are some reports, and these are much less believed, uh, that 
you know, the, you could run across Patagonian peoples that were, you know, getting into the 12, 13 uh, feet uh, region, uh, which is, again, pretty massive and extremely unlikely uh, that you would run into that many people that size. Uh, but again, the region is fairly uh, low in terms of population. Uh, there's a reason for this that we'll get into. Partly is um, environmental, uh, but for uh, Patagonia and then also to the next place that we're going to be talking about, uh, there are there have been periods where uh, agriculture did not really uh, was not a viable lifestyle, mainly due to uh, having to rely on rain and things like that. So uh, there are periods where Patagonia and then also the next region, Tierra del Fuego, go ahead and spoil it for you, where people revert back to this earlier hunter-gatherer lifestyle. And that's something that never, never changes. I think even to today, uh, if you are not living in a, you know, a, a big population center, not that there are that many but relatively big population center at that region, uh, you kind of have to live off to the land to a certain extent. Uh, but uh, we'll talk more about those people in the future because, again, um, Patagonians, the Giants, that's debated heavily. Uh, but they, like the people to the north, are really only just getting into Patagonia. Uh, most of the people living in this far south are in uh, what is now um, both Chile and Argentina uh, uh, in the very far south. Uh, it is, uh, excuse me, um, Tierra del, I've already said it, Tierra I am getting extremely tired, I do apologize. Tierra del Fuego, which literally means land of fire. Um, now these people have had, of course, come south uh, following the coast, following that you know, initial kind of wave, um, or that initial highway for populating the Americas. Uh, and I had mentioned last time that places this far south, you know, uh, not now, it wasn't the last episode, but the episodes I was talking about Chile uh, specifically. I mentioned that they really didn't get too far south along kind of that coast past a certain point. Um, now, I, again, I do like to thank our re, our listener uh, Tomas uh, for sending me those kind of um, those articles. Uh, they were been very helpful, and that does allow me to talk again about the. Uh, I guess the ancient uh, Fuegians uh, is is one of the terms for the people of the region, and I believe that there are around four or five main groups in terms of like uh, modern uh, peoples, or at least you know remnants of peoples who who lived in the region, um, and they all occupy kind of different uh, different regions of Tierra del Fuego. Um, and I'm not going to go into them now because, again, it's hard to say how, you know, how much a reflection of this later period is of this very ancient period. But because of the way the region is kind of organized, um, it is something that 
you know, it, it is something that lends itself to small, isolated groups. Just the geography and the weather really, really make it hard to, uh, again, have large-scale populations. And if you're not really interested in, you know, interacting with your neighbors too much, you can kind of get away with that, at least to a certain extent. Uh, now, there are a few archaeological sites in these regions I want to talk about. And these, uh, the primary one of these is the Cueva de los Manos, or the Cave of the Hands. Uh, this is located uh, in Argentina. It is uh, in the near the modern city of Santa Cruz. And it is located near the uh, Pinturas River, or the Rio Pinturas. It's a very old site. It's one of the earliest in Argentina, at least that can be firmly dated. Uh, I think around, uh, again, 8,000 BC, maybe a little bit older than that. And uh, it's home to a number of very, I mean, really great looking uh, cave paintings. You have uh, a very common motif in uh, cave paintings all over the world. It's the, the handprint. Uh, with the negative space where the hand's been placed and held on the wall and the, the spray of the paint has been kind of uh, put on the wall. Uh, and this is something that's happened quite a lot in this cave, hence the term uh, the cave of the hands. But that's not all that they uh, depict. They depict what appear to be uh, uh, you know, herds of uh, guanacos, which are... Uh, wild um, ancestors of the uh, alpacas uh, or the llamas excuse me uh, either or I think it's I think it's llamas but um, I can't quite remember uh, and I did not take that notes but so there you know you also have depictions of uh, you know uh, the wild mountain cats I think pumas uh, foxes as well and a ton of other uh, errors uh, animals, excuse me, birds, things like that. Uh, and you have, again, a number of sites in this region. You also have one along, it's the Desiado River. Um, uh, I believe I pronounced that correctly. Um, uh, so the, between these two rivers, you have a number of sites that, again, can be dated to between, I believe it's 8,000 to some as recently as I want to say uh 4,000 BC uh, and you can find again a huge amount of art uh, and you begin to see again some of the later periods uh, kind of a break away from the traditional kind of ancient you know handprint stuff uh, it's still there but you see more variety uh, you begin to see spiral uh, spirals or like circles in circles um, you also have uh, these weird kind of almost uh, humanoid shapes that have two sets of hands. Now I've heard people say that they could be lizards, and yeah, yeah, I could see that being the case. But also, uh, it's weird that you know some animals are done with much more uh, readily identifiable traits. But the fact you look at this, I, I thought it might have been something like a scorpion or a crab. Um, but I, I can see lizard as well. It, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting dichotomy how they how some things are easily identifiable, uh, and then there are others that are, you know, a little bit more open for interpretation. Uh, 
But again, that's something that you begin to see in the later periods. At the first couple a thousand years, it's something that's very, uh, very traditional. If you took a, you know, a picture of just the hand signs, um, you probably wouldn't be able to identify it. You might think that this was something directly in Africa or like in one of the um, European caves in southern uh, France or, or northern Spain. Uh, there's there's really nothing unless like you're a really big geology nerd and we're able to determine the rock type uh, just from a picture but um, again that's something that changes so you see that there are these uh, innovations and the people kind of adapting to their environment and expressing uh, the uniqueness of their environment uh, through their art uh, and I believe in terms of number, there are over, I think it's over 3,000 handprints all spread throughout this kind of uh, cave systems. Um, They're also uh, using these caves as sources for stone, and they have a lot more, um, you know, they have a lot of variety in the region. There's, um, they're able to get like these uh, kind of yellow pigments uh, from quartz. They have gypsum that they're using. Um, hematite is another material that they're using a lot of so they're really able to experiment with uh, a lot of different um, uh, material when it comes to creating their art and also their uh, tools um, now I couldn't get too much in terms of the um, in terms of their tool types like well, I couldn't find pictures uh, but it does appear that they are at least fairly quickly after they get there, they're using that Neolithic tool set. Uh, the again, the longer, thinner bladelets as opposed to the uh, wider ones. So um, that you know, Paleolithic uh, or you know, old and middle Stone Age groups were using. Um, oh, I didn't go over the name of the. Uh, the origin of the term for uh, Tierra del Fuego. I almost completely forgot that. So the idea is that it comes from uh, when Ferdinand Magellan, who again was the first European to extensively explore the region of Patagonia and then further south, uh, his name of course uh, lends itself to the Strait of Magellan. Uh, he noticed that there were, you know, these numerous villages all kind of spread out over the landscape, over the the uh, islands, and that almost all of these people um, that he was running across had these, you know, lo fairly large fires in front of their dwellings, and this is something that was spread out. So, like, you would sail along the coast, uh, look inland, and you would see nothing but fires just spaced out for miles and miles. So you would see smoke. Uh, coming up and it, there is evidence that some of these groups would uh, send smoke signals um, that is something that probably definitely happened uh, at least some of the groups did. I don't know if they all did it but some did um, now uh, the uh, Fuegians uh, I, I think pretty much all of these islands have had some type of um, excavations done on them uh, and they all found, you know, again, dating back to around 6,000-ish, some a little bit more, um, 
where they have found you know artifacts of one group or another or at least the ancestors of one group or another um we probably have lost some sites due to the again the the rise of the uh, water level that's happening you know at this time period um some of these islands may not have been islands uh at uh, at the start of this season it's something that could have happened again by by the end of this season by 6000 bc you're looking probably at what it is now today in the modern coastline so um that is something again that we we have probably lost some sites to uh the water so um let's see i think that's that's the main points i actually wanted to hit um paraguay and uruguay southern brazil all tied in together argentina patagonia uh and yeah, so it's something that we'll talk about next season. But um, there is a period of time, uh, I think that it will begin next season, where you can see that the start of agriculture may happen. But due to long-term drought caused by weather patterns, uh, essentially the the interior of Argentina and their, their Piedmont Mountains, they're essentially depopulated. Humans have to completely abandon them or just go back to a full-scale mobile hunter-gatherer lifestyle uh, and that's something that again we'll talk about you know weather patterns and how how they affect a lot of different latin american civilizations uh or south american civilizations uh going forward that's one of the big uh kind of stories and factors of the rise and fall of certain civilizations in uh, southern uh, or South America excuse me so yeah that's another factor to keep in mind going forward um, talked about the Fuegians uh, for four to five groups probably um, yeah I think uh, I think this is a pretty good uh, coverage and I actually was able to record a lot longer than I was expecting to though my throat is getting extremely dry and sore now so um, yeah I I think this is it. I think this is a pretty good uh, point to call it. Um, I wish I had been able to find a cut a little bit more sources uh, for the Fuegians and maybe find an example of the the Cave of the Hands peoples. Um, but I, I think this is kind of a good stopping point. Uh, again, Southern South America, uh, it, it is just really beginning to get populated, but it never gets, in terms of uh, population density, all that high. That's something that's only you're only going to see further north uh, with um, civilizations that can practice agriculture at a much larger scale. Um, uh, but again, that's something all to look forward to for future seasons, uh, talking about this region. So, uh, yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and call this episode here and this season right now. Thank you all for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, again, we'll have some interstitial episodes, um, just kind of going over general topics uh, for you know, for all of us to keep in mind as season four goes forward. Um, I won't have an episode out since I was able to finish up. I won't have one out probably the week of Christmas. Um, I probably will have one out the week of New Year's, 
but it probably won't be out on New Year's Day directly. It might be a little bit longer than that, but um, yeah. Uh, thank you all for joining me. I appreciate it so, so much. Um, we've had a really big year, and I hope next year is even bigger, but we will see. Um, we'll be getting back to some other regions, some other topics. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you all. Uh, please like, subscribe, listen, all that kind of stuff. Wherever you listen, I appreciate it. Uh, just kind of get the name out there, share it with uh, with your friends that might be interested in some history stuff. So, uh, If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me at waradrevpod at gmail.com. That's W-A-R-A-D-R-E-V at G, uh, P, I'm sorry, R-E-V-P-O-D at gmail.com. Excuse me. I'm starting to get tired too. Um, you can also direct message me on uh, Twitter slash X and you can also comment on any of my YouTube uh, channel uh, episodes. Um, I live stream there too. Uh, I've been playing War Thunder which is kind of like a uh, tank, plane, boat simulator um, recently. Uh, not sponsored. <laughs> just so you know uh and i've also kind of been doing some other stuff and I'll, I'll probably have a couple of um streams this week where i i do some other stuff but i will be playing war thunder again it, it's it's been pretty fun so far so um yeah thank you all again for joining me i hope you have a good rest of your week and if i don't talk to you before then i hope you have a good holidays uh with your friends and or your family uh thank you all so much I hope you have a good rest of your day and your week. Goodbye.